Hi, thanks for joining me. This is Gary Rogowski for Splinters, our podcast on all things at the bench. And topics various. Today's podcast is a reprise of a podcast I did our very first season, an excerpt from my book called Handmade, Creative Focus in the Age of Distraction. And this is a chapter called The Problem at the Bench. The problem at the bench is always me. I forget why I'm there in the first place. It is not to be building things, although that is grand. It is not to be learning a skill, which is also a great blessing. It is not to become familiar with a rich tradition of making a broad history of craftsmanship that stretches back for centuries to be part of a long progression of design and technical achievements. These are all very good. But none of these are the main reason why I am there. I am there at the bench to be quiet with myself. I was walking the Beagle in my neighborhood one morning, and I heard someone practicing violin in their house as we passed by. The player wasn't new at it, but neither was he skilled. He was learning and repeating his scales. Even I knew it wasn't a beginner's set, as there were some small variations in them each time he played. He was halting at times, but on he pressed. The violin scales ebbed in volume as we walked away down the sidewalk. I realized that in the hands of a great player, these scales would have had a precision to them that this relative beginner lacked. They would have had a sound that was different, an intimate familiarity that would have made each note separate, rich, and clear. Even though both players would have played the same notes, the pupil would make his into mere sound, while the master would have made hers brilliant. Yet it was inspiring to hear the pupil trying, practicing. Everyone starts at the beginning. When we are beginning, we are driftless. It's a difficult place to be. We become anxious because we don't have a direction picked out, a spot on which to stand to let our worth shine through. We're lost, but we blame the world for not revealing itself to us. We shout, show me what I should be doing, and I'll do it. I just don't know what that it is. I'm ready for it. I'll be great at it once it shows up. All I need is a spot, and then I'll shine like no one else ever has. Our expectations of ourselves, our dreams and hopes of being great, our impatience gets in the way of our quest. Our standards come in so impossibly high that there is no way a beginner can meet them. A beginner knows what great looks like and knows his own work is certainly not great at first. Frustration sets in. It's easier to quit and try something else than to continue on in this poor fashion. Look at this terrible work. Look at me. I failed again. Quitting is the simple way out, and the circle goes round and round. I remember when I first started, I was raw. I had no talents, and no idea of whether they were deeply hidden or simply not there at all. It is terrifying to make a choice to do something and then be so inept at it. I would get angry with myself for making some mistakes, one more stupid than the last. It was not pretty. Simple things, things I should remember and pay attention to, I would forget again and again. I knew what I wanted my work to be, and I wanted it now, not later. It was not easy to be bad at something that I desired so much. Patience was never my strong suit. When I hiked, I wanted to be first up the mountain. When I ran, I wanted to win. When I did anything, I was competing. I was in a hurry. 
Perhaps the speed at which I led my life was some indication of how much I wanted to run from things. My tough father, my own ridiculous and impossible self-imposed standards of perfection. My lack of trust in people. Or perhaps my conviction that people were out for themselves. At the bench, I'm competing with only myself. So why not lighten up? I was angry with myself much of the time when I was learning because I was never perfect. It was a contest that I could never win. Know this as well. A perfectionist like myself never congratulates himself for getting close. When I made any mistake, I was failing. That was bad. Failure is a familiar cloak to wear. I could castigate myself with volume for any flaw in my work because it was so easy to be that way. I was only as good as myself, which was never good enough. The task of learning can seem gigantic to the beginner. As an artist, you have to learn how to use the tools and materials. Discover how things go together, and then there's design. It's a big mountain of experience to climb. You can forget that in the middle of all this is you, that great mass of inadequacies, complete with your desires, your expectations in the face of your failures, and your lack of patience or your lack of humor. You're in the way of things, impatient to be great. I can flip the switch of a tool. Why can't I flip a switch and just be great? The truth is that one of the hardest things I had to learn is how to fail. Henry Petrosky is an author, professor of civil engineering at Duke University. One of the overarching concerns in his book is the importance of failure and in its importance in how we design and how we learn. Read his wonderful book, The Evolution of Useful Things. Inventors design things because they are driven by the perceived failure of a current design. Is a function being properly performed or can it be improved? Petrosky understands the necessity of failure in order to push an idea forward, whether it be on an engineering problem or one of technique or design. He quotes Thomas Edison, Genius. Sticking to it is the genius. I failed my way to success. Failure in design is as important as failure in construction. As one of Petrosky's chapter titles points out, form follows failure. Form doesn't follow function. Failure is the means by which we all learn to do better. The importance of failure has been lost in most of our educational systems. It has a pejorative meaning, as if it's something to be eradicated. As Mark, a botanist friend of mine who studies seeds for the USDA, told me, if the error is consistent for a scientist, then you have proved something valuable. If the results are consistent with your presumption of error, then the experiment that fails is a success. People today fear the idea of failing. They become virtual players rather than active participants, choosing to watch video rather than try and fail themselves at something. They fear looking ignorant. I tell my students not to fear their ignorance. Ignorance is curable. It's stupidity I can do nothing with. Failure is how we learn. We acknowledge our ignorance first and ask for help. We try to correct it. It's a risk. At the bench, I try my hands on the tool one way and make a cut. It doesn't feel right. That's okay. Move my hands and try them in a new position. If this grip works, it will become a part of my language at the bench. This takes time. The issue is whether we can handle this correction of our ignorance with humility and patience or whether our frustrations will limit us. Persisting through failure deserves the medal, not simple participation. Fail in order to succeed better. On a short stopover in Reykjavik, Iceland, some years ago, I strolled around a small town and headed down a hill toward the bay. 
I walked past a small, three-story white clabbered building. It wasn't old or particularly attractive. It held apartments inside, as I could see from the small, personal items that sat on the windowsills. As I was heating gravity's pull down the hill, I also heard music coming from upstairs. Three instruments, a violin, a flute, and a cello, were playing in a second-floor apartment. They were murdering a piece by Bach, I think. The murder was not in question. I just wasn't sure if it was Bach or Haydn or someone else being killed upstairs. I stopped in my tracks to listen to them. They played with such a confident airing. On they stumbled, and they never stopped to correct themselves. They pushed forward through their mistakes to the end. I applauded outside. I had to. I'm not sure they noticed me, but what luck for me to witness their attempt that morning. I looked out at the bay. What fine luck. Moments like the soloist practicing scales in Portland and the trio murdering Bach in Iceland give me such energy and such hope. These musicians were playing loud for all to hear and tough luck to the world if it was not perfect and the world judged them harshly. There's only one way to the proficiency of the master and the budding violinist knew it as did the trio. Practice. Keep practicing until the notes have the precision they require. Keep practicing until the work is transformed. Until the work transforms you. Until study becomes mastery. No one anoints you with mastery. One isn't born with it. You are blessed with talent, but you become a master by repetition. I cannot buy mastery with a tool, with another book, or a week of class, or study with a gifted teacher. These things cannot make you great. Practice does. As Robert Persick quotes in Zen of the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, Assembly of Japanese bicycle require great peace of mind. He goes on to discuss the importance of the state, the bicycle and the machine. The furniture has no stake in being right or wrong. No ethical code lives inside a tool. It is the builder that has to bring the good into the work. It's not about building this stuff. It's an attitude about being at the bench. The task is learning to accept this, learning to be quiet there, learning to slow down. My goal at the bench is to drown out the noise of the world, to forget its insanity, its dangers, its increasing inanities, and strangle, if only for a time, the loud voices inside my head telling me that I can't do this work. If I don't have serenity when I begin to build, I will pull my problems into the piece itself. At the bench, the problem is always me. It is never the tools, but how I handle them. It is not the work that is hard. It is managing my emotions that is the task. Working through the boredom, handling the mistakes, managing my patience, learning from my errors. This is the challenge. I read to you uh, from this chapter of the book uh, because I'm working with some students now who are beginning and starting this journey. And I remember when I first started how hard it was, how difficult it seemed, and how impenetrable the skills uh, that I needed <laughs> that I needed to learn, like speaking. <laughs> but it's of importance, I think, to understand that it's always the stuff we bring to the bench that gets in our way. It's easy to blame the tools. It's easy to blame the, you know, 
this or that, the design that, you know. But it's always us. It is always our head, our space, our mood that gets in the way of us doing great work. We are capable of doing great work. How do we get out of our way in order to do that work? So I think there is a uh, an important warm-up that everyone needs to do before beginning their their efforts at whatever skill you are trying to improve. And there is the importance of understanding that failure is a given. Failure is a part of the deal. Failure is a, a necessary part of learning and should be if not welcomed exactly, it should be allowed to enter the room and teach us. It is the best way that we learn. It's by trying something and failing and saying, aha, that isn't the way to do it. Let's try it another way. Let's try it a different way. And that's how we learn. So I encourage you as you're uh, doing your work at the bench or wherever you do your work to let failure enter in. Um, I remember the words of uh, Anne Lamott talking in uh, Bird by Bird, uh, a book about writing, really, but I encourage my students to read it because she talks about uh, so eloquently about the uh, the value of failure and writing shitty first drafts. You, you don't just start out writing a masterpiece. You write a crappy first draft and then you fix it up. So... This is our this is our effort at the bench. It is a constant process of learning and relearning and making mistakes and forgiving ourselves for those mistakes. And that is a uh, and that is a is a valuable valuable thing. Learning to forgive ourselves for our mistakes. They are legion. <laughs> they are legion. I was talking with someone one time who asked me if I included an error in my work so as not to offend God. And I said, oh, God knows that I have many, many mistakes in this piece. I don't need to just add one for her to notice. There's tons of them. Don't let me start pointing them out. Thanks very much for listening. It's a pleasure to have you here and share some ideas with you. So thanks very much. If you like... What, what you hear and want to support me, it's coffee.com. We've got a page there. You can buy me a coffee or a schnapps or a Lefroig, <laughs> whatever. Thanks, but thanks for your support. Please check out our website, northwestwoodworking.com. Some changes afoot, but we are still offering our online lectures on demand and... Yes, some changes to uh, to what I'll be doing. I'm going to be continuing our online mastery program this fall, so if you're interested in that, please request a prospectus on that. Our first-year group is still running this summer, and, um, yeah, we'll start a, a new group in the fall, October-ish. Anyway, please check that out and uh, tell your friends and neighbors about us. You can always use the support. I appreciate the help. Stay cool out there. Take care. Bye-bye.